As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the first ever Selectivist Action Group, People. It's been suggested a few times that as well as talking to MPs, journalists and comedians, I should also talk to some actual Selectivists turned activists during the podcast. Some people who've got themselves motivated and have just gone out there and done something. So coming up, I talked to a couple of lads who drove a London taxi 43,000 miles around the world, raising 20 grand for the Red Cross. Before that, I should remind you that in a couple of weeks' time, for the February Slacktivist Action Group, I will be talking to Margaret Hodge, MP for Barking and ex-chair of the Public Accounts Committee, Times columnist and former Tony Blair speechwriter Philip Collins, and author, stand-up and new president of the British Humanist Association, Shappy Corsandy. But now, Ernest Hemingway said you should always do sober what you said you'd do drunk. Three lads did and ended up circumnavigating the globe in a 20-year-old London taxi, taking 15 months, breaking two world records and getting arrested just the twice. I caught up with two of them ahead of their book launch for It's On The Meter. Joined here by Paul Archer and Lee Purnell. Now, as I understand, the story started, Paul, you, you're coming home drunk in a taxi, you're watching an Attenborough documentary about kangaroos, and uh, it suddenly struck you, oh, well, why, why don't we take a taxi and drive all the way to Australia to see kangaroos? Is that pretty much how it started? I mean, yeah, in a nutshell, I, I think it was, um, yeah, it was pretty much a ridiculous drunken idea that we thought, oh, wouldn't that be fun? Um, surely there's a world record we could break. Yeah. Um, what's the longest ever taxi journey? Turns out someone had a world record. We thought, why don't we do it? So we it went. It was on. one of those achievable world records. So um, we, we'd had that idea for a while. Lots of people say we, we flew around the world, and you, you realise they've gone to about four different cities, and it's cost them ten grand. And so after we graduated, we were like, well, we want to do something 
different to that and let's break a world record and so we looked for the longest ever car journey and i think that was still going on after like 14 years and we we i think we jointly agreed that's not what we want to do no. well especially uh, if it's ongoing isn't it yeah, yeah. You know, even if you started it you're never quite sure how long you've got to go for well we saw people which will probably come up later on uh, actually had kids on the way during their journey so not it, on our journey not we, on our we journey didn't have, on well, there. Maybe, Spacing that taxi, maybe though. there are some that, that no one knows about. Little, Little John O'Ellison's <laughs> around the world. But That's good. We get to talk about him, and he can't actually reprise it. So we, we should say who John O'Ellison is. This is the third, the third member of the group who is is not here to to defend himself. So we're going to slag him off as much as we yeah, can. Yeah, he's the yeah. scapegoat. And the, the big idea, wasn't it, was that you were going in a taxi, and of course any taxi driver would not go in a straight line. He would go round the houses, which is why effectively a 20,000 mile journey took you somewhere in the region of 43,000 miles. Yep, yep, that's exactly it. We tried to um, go the longest route possible to rack up the fare, so we had the meter on the whole way. Um, and that involved us going all the way up into Northern Europe, through Russia, through Europe, Turkey, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, and then up into India. Uh, no, into India, Tibet, China, Southeast Asia, Australia, then across the states back to London. Very open-minded taxi driving, this is. Big squiggly line, <laughs> right yeah. through the middle All of the All over the place. And there's a moment fairly early on, I'm guessing, when this joke is, is worn a bit thin fairly quickly and you're going, why did we bother to go quite such a circuitous route? That was probably the, the first time the radiator blew up and that was in Iraq. And so we, we, we prepped the car to, it wasn't just a standard taxi, we added lots of parts to it. And one of the things that taxi drivers always told us about these cars, this was a, a taxi that had driven for 20 years on the streets of London. So it was, an, it, was, it, was, it was on its way out anyway. And so they were like, no, it's for calling. So we're like, right, we're going to hot countries, put better calling on it, that makes sense. Just before we got to the hot country, um, I'm not saying anybody, but Paul Archer didn't keep his eye on the dashboard. I heard it and, was Jono, because he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> and the radiator blew up. So we were sitting there just before it got really hot with a radiator that was not working. So uh, we ended up in a, a bazaar in Iraq fixing the radiator with like with all those spare parts in this bazaar getting brazed together and this new radiator being built. And we were going, this is, this is just insane. Like, what the hell are we doing? But... It worked. So geek it up for us just uh, very briefly. You've got this taxi, a 20-year-old taxi. You're trying to take it to Australia. You don't think it's going to quite make it in its current state. Very briefly, what did you do to it to, to make it get all the way there? I argued my place for a snorkel and a winch. And some of the, most of the other parts were accepted generally, including the, the enormous sound system that we ended up putting in the car. But the, the winch and the snorkel were like this, this thing. Oh, it's too expensive. It's too heavy. And so during the trip, I had to prove that we were gonna actually use these things. Luckily we did, I think we used each a bunch of times, but um, when we were in the garage getting it all ready and stressed and they're, they're, these two were arguing, why, why are you spending hours and hours getting all this set up? We don't need it, um, but then we did, so well, it was all good. <laughs> there are some fun facts at the end of the book. One is that the winch gets used three times. Yeah. One is that you were arrested. Yeah, more like twice. Yeah, less, three, maybe less. Three, like. three. Just trying to justify it more yeah. and more. Yeah, snorkel 17 times. Just to get yeah. us out of the parking lot. I was just like, yeah, use the winch. We were, we were driving between uh, the main city in Iran, uh, Tehran and Homs. Uh, no, Homs. Uh, Quetta. 
Is it Quetta? No, no. Quetta yeah. Quetta's in Pakistan, Pakistan isn't it? Yeah. 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 It was between there anyway. Yeah. Um, somewhere. Uh, somewhere well, in the way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we this was why you were arrested, because you had no idea we, what we were yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was the thing on the trip as well. We generally, a lot of the time, didn't have any idea where we were heading. We literally just went, the focus of where's the sun rising, that's west. Well, there's a good reason for this. We had lots of great maps, like really good maps of all the places we needed to go to. Um, we, you know, we weren't going to get lost at all. But we we left them behind, so we we did that typical okay, thing. Is it the sound system or the maps? It was. Right. Like, oh, which one should we do? Yeah. Some I don't know. At some crazy pack, and when we were leaving, someone forgot the, the the maps, and we didn't know what we were doing. So we used satnav for the first sort of two weeks, and then we were sort of four weeks in, and we're still using satnav, and then we're sort of five or six weeks in. Still we, using satnav, which doesn't have any maps really. Yeah, we only have the direction. European maps, so when you're um, <laughs> around, you go in. Should we see how far we can go without using any maps? And, and we actually ended up doing it the whole way without using any maps the whole way. We, we basically just asked for directions, used a satnav, which didn't have any maps installed on that, and just generally head in the same direction. It, it, it got us there in the end. Yeah, and he didn't care if you went slightly wiggling. It was more of a taxi ride. Exactly. exactly yes yes and so yeah when we were we were driving down the motorway late at night so Iran actually has good motorways which was a surprise for us from all the roads we'd driven previously and it was lit up so we were, we were driving till about 11 o'clock at night so it was this in the middle of the desert pitch black apart from this good bit of motorway and so we pulled over at the side of the road pitched our tents um Luckily, the, the guys got me a nice shiny pink tent as well uh, because I wasn't in the buying process of this when I was fixing the car before we left. So I had, they had nice green tents. I had this Barbie pink version. And so we woke up in the morning. Inconspicuous. Yeah, I got out of the tent in the middle of this, this desert. And uh, I could just as I got out, Jono stuck his head out and he was like, is that artillery? And I was like, what? Turned, turned my head and there was this massive anti-aircraft gun right behind us and uh Paul, like we're Paul get up like we need to get out of here now so we're packing away Jono's taking photos of this thing of the, of the list the five things that you shouldn't do when you find like anti-aircraft weaponry a in a installation yeah take photos and log the GPS coordinates so you kind of don't think that would uh, be what you should be doing and uh, so we were packed and as we were packing we had saw two jeeps coming over and uh, got stopped for several hours we found out two weeks before that two American guys had been arrested because they took photos of pylons. Now here's Jono taking photo of pylons and an anti-aircraft gun. And we're going, it was one of those situations where we didn't realize how bad it actually was until we were about a week later. And then we went, oh, that was pretty bad. How but. sad is your holiday that you've got to take photos of pylons? That's a... <laughs> <laughs> so to qualify for the, the world record, you needed a passenger in the cab at all times. And so you two, as I remember rightly, struggled with some visas at some point. So John is left in the middle of the desert, in, in the middle of nowhere, on the border between Iraq and Iraq, um, Iran and um, Pakistan, one of the most dangerous places and, in the world. And he's got to take a hitchhiker with him just to qualify for the record. So he, yes. This is exactly it. So he finds himself this Aussie hitchhiker. He, he just says, hey, do you want to drive across Pakistan in a black cab? And the guy's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> and so he immediately just says, um, he, he hires this guy, he gets this guy in. The two of them then have this incredible adventure for about four or five days crossing across the border. And you can imagine in uh, the very desolate part of the, the bridge between Iran, Pakistan and Helmand province in Afghanistan, there's not much internet. And so we were, we were getting a little bit more worried that he was taking a bit longer than previously. And uh, then Paul saw a, new, a BBC news flash 
coming across the screen saying two people two Europeans kidnapped in Balochistan Pakistan which is where Jono was and at that point had to be him like, we were devastated the world record was ruined we didn't <laughs> think we'd ever make it yeah and, and basically like and then it turned out it was two other people and you're celebrating <laughs> it was somebody else yeah, isn't, that, isn't that such a horrible thing to do <laughs> we were like yes it was two Swiss people so we are like Switzerland like it's, it's a bit neutral so hopefully they'll, they'll get freed but so you had 102 passengers, that's uh, one of the facts in the book. Um, now on Uber now, you get to rate your passengers. So uh, who, who would you say was your worst passenger? Other than Lee and Jono? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure, that well, maybe I... the, the guy in Iran that, that just jumped in our car. Yeah, we... He, we... Was, he was quite, um, yeah, he'd be there. Yeah, you were just going slowly and he, he, he suddenly thought, well, he, he, did. He, he let himself into the car and he had um, a full urn of tea, which he took with him and then started to then shout and abuse us for driving too slowly and tell smoking. us where he wanted to go. He was smoking. And so we, we took him to where, yeah, start lighting up cigarettes and... and you were the best taxi time. drivers ever. <laughs> we're like, Somebody wanted to say, no, doors will go where you're going. About 30 seconds in though, I was I was sitting in the back and I saw, you know, the, the sensors that you have on where you have, your, they test your heart and everything. And uh, I was like, he's just pulled a sensor. Like he's, he looks like he'd just come out of a hospital. And the place where we were going, it wasn't an urn. It was a little drip. <laughs> just taking all the, the drugs there. Um, we had some, some some crazy guys. We had some some guy who was a session bassist for the Prodigy come in, and we had some. Um, we had a well, actually a, a, well, a murderer <laughs> was oh, in our yeah. car. We did yeah, kind of give it. So this Aussie. Um, so a man who's dying and a murderer. Yeah, we yeah. kind of like got all the spectrums, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> we actually had to go find find a mechanic to do some serious work we needed tools for. So we, we met this guy called Brando, um, and he came and he did loads of amazing work in the car, and he helped us, and he basically wouldn't accept any money for us. Oh, no, you guys raising money for charity. No, you, oh, don't worry about it. Don't pay seemed it. like a good guy. He seemed like a great guy. We, we bought a, a couple mechanic. of crates. Yeah, That's great what I think. Great mechanic. He replaced the windscreen and stuff he, he as well. All of these. Like, we, we bought him a load of beer as well because he seemed like a great lad. You know, we put them in the fridge and everything. And then about six months later, we get this. He's this a recovering cool. alcoholic and it all went down. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were the stars. That was our fault. We did yeah, we get a call from the Cairns police uh, asking about, because oh, we, we, we wrote a blog the whole way and wrote a particular blog about that scene when he'd showed us a photo of his six-month-old kid with a gun, which admittedly did raise some alarms. Um, but he but assured us. He was like, no, it's fine. fine. It's, it's only a 22, yeah. apparently. <laughs> yeah. And then, so we get this call up from the Cairns police asking about his whereabouts and uh, whether we could explain what kind of guns he may have showed us, because turns out he was, at that time, Australia's most wanted man. Um, because he apparently killed two of his customers, ironically, who obviously didn't buy him any beer. And the wheels fell off your taxi at one point. What's the story behind the wheels uh, falling yeah, off? Yeah, that was, um, so we'd apparently been driving along one of the world's most dangerous roads. It was along the mountainside in, in Nepal, going from one of the big cities to the other, and got into the main city, and I went over the smallest bump in the road, and the, all I heard was this whole thing and the wheel coming off. Now, I was by myself at this point because these guys were still away and the wheel was being held on by just the brake uh, lines and that was it. The whole ball joint fell apart and so I was sitting there going, I, I, I don't know anyone, trying to fix the car and um, what was quite funny at that point... And then you had a winch! <laughs> what well, we I actually the wheel came off right in front of a military barracks in, in uh, Nepal and so they got the tank... Um, trap out the, the thing to lift up the tanks to replace the treads. 
So you, you raised the 20 grand for the Red Cross in the process. Yeah. And um, what made you choose the Red Cross? Was there any particular reason? I was, it was basically because it was one of the most international charities that, that we could go for. We thought that um, along the way we'd be able to see some of their work as well, which was definitely, definitely a real big thing for us. Yeah. Um, and we we all realised, we're like, well, which charity should we go for? What's the one that uni unifies the three of us? And we weren't really sure. And then we realised, well, what do we all give to? And it turns out all three of us were giving to the Red Cross, so it seemed like an obvious choice. Yeah. Um, and they also offered to give us some sort of like yeah, they were really... super training and how we can. Well, they gave us a book called How to Stay Alive. We said to him, uh, Do you have like a security consultant we can talk to, go through the routes? And we spent one morning down in London, and she went, You're pretty much fine apart from these areas. And out of the three areas, she picked two of them we were going to, yeah. including the bit where Jono got caught on the Pakistan border. Don't, don't sort of film the pylons. That was the <laughs> rule one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We did loads of press yeah. things along the way, uh, like interviews, all sorts of different things from like tiny little American stations to um, Wall Street like, Journal. The, like woke up one morning to find the front page of the Wall Street Journal, which was like completely unexpected. and. The whole way we were taking We love those Brits. We were like, oh my God, these crazy Brits. They, they walked out of a pub, bought a cab and drove around the world. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were basically just um, like, we, we didn't know what we were doing. We had no, there was no PR team or training. No, it was literally so, us just, on laptops, just us seeing laptops. people's Wi-Fi every night. All, all people getting it. in touch with us and, and asking for it. And so the whole way through all of these interviews, we'd just be ripping the shit out of each other in them. Um, and then just coming up with stupid words. If, if one person's on front of the screen, there'd be two people behind the camera just like making faces, trying to distract them. Or there'd be a, a number of different words that we had to get in that like sort of like buzzwords to that you We could call that training. That was like training um, to be able to, to public speak and stuff. Because having that distraction behind you just meant that you didn't have to worry about anything else. But, but we were, I mean- so This is where we expect Jono to turn up behind you now. <laughs> Ta -da! Naked arms coming towards us. <laughs> this is, well, that, that one did That's happen. Surprising. <laughs> and are you itching to do something quite as adventurous again or have you, is that, have you got that out of your system now do you think? Yeah, we, we were just chatting about that then I think the we're not going to do anything for 15 months I think mean, that was just a, once in a lifetime that's a hell of a lot of time to spend in a, in a tin box with two smelly lads basically you don't want to do that again there's pros but and cons I think there's, <laughs> there's definitely yeah a lot of them um, but I think we're, we, we've all got the bug we we've done a couple of sort of smaller little adventures since uh, and and you know we've got these crazy ideas always bouncing around to do you know you want to ride a motorbike across the channel i want to break the world record for the longest ever um snowmobile across a desert because it's never been done you know these are sort of things you can fit into a there month seems to be or a two. reason why that may have never been done <laughs> it's got skis the, the same <laughs> logic that we had like five years ago where it was like taxis why no no everyone's done that before obviously no why not give it a go so somebody's gone to a football match, they're, uh, they've seen a, a police horse, they come back a bit drunk, they're watching a documentary on penguins, <laughs> and they suddenly think, oh, I'm going to ride a police horse to Antarctica, what would your advice be? Do it. But at least, at least find out if it's been done before. Because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. there might be a world record in that one. And then go on eBay and buy a police horse. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if they do that, but you buy everything on eBay. So yeah. fine. Make sure there's not somebody who's been doing it for 14 years who's still, yeah. still trying to get that. Was, along. that was the one thing that we, we saw straight away. That what everyone at home was like, you guys are crazy. Like Even the, the sponsors that originally jumped on board with us, um, they were, when we got back, they were like, we didn't expect you to even leave Europe. So that was uh, the sort of the joy of us going all the way around the world.